0: For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, this passage, John 3:16, is probably the most popular passage in all of God's Word, and rightly so. It's a passage that clearly and succinctly explains that the work Jesus has accomplished has graciously invited all people to eternal life in heaven. And as we look at the rest of God's word, we see what Jesus did to make this possible. Jesus, knowing that our sinfulness had ruined and damaged our relationship with God, left his throne in heaven to win us back. Jesus submitted himself to being born in such a humble way, taking on flesh. Jesus then submitted himself to all of the laws and commands that are found in God's word so that his perfect life could be gifted to us. And Jesus then submitted himself to the death that we deserve to die for our sins when he went to the cross, suffering both a physical and a spiritual death so that his death could be gifted to us as well. All of this work Jesus accomplished so that he could restore our relationship with God. All of this work Jesus accomplished so that he could graciously invite all people to eternal life in heaven. But Jesus is concerned that people will reject his invitations of grace. Jesus is concerned that people will reject his invitations to eternal life in heaven. And Jesus' concern that people will reject this invitation is what led him to tell the parable that's before us this morning. Now, for the past two weeks, we've been looking at parables that Jesus has spoken to the religious leaders on the Tuesday of Holy Week. The religious leaders who confronted Jesus asking who gave him the authority to do everything that he had been doing. Last week, we heard Jesus' parable about the vineyard owner who sent his servants and even his very own son to the tenant farmers who kept brutally murdering everyone that the owners sent their way. And this parable last week pictured what was going to take place just three days ahead in the future, when Jesus was going to suffer and die on the cross at the hands of the religious leaders. But immediately following that parable, Jesus tells the parable that's before us this morning. And this parable pictures something that was going to happen even further ahead into the future. What was going to happen after Jesus' death? Victory. This is a parable of celebration because three days after Jesus was going to suffer and die on the cross, he was going to rise victorious from the grave. Rising victorious from the grave, proving that he had defeated sin, death, and Satan himself. A victory that was designed to restore our relationship with God that had been broken by sin. And Jesus, in our parable, pictures this victory as a wedding feast. The king's son and the bride celebrating the kingdom's victory. And as Jesus mentions in the parable, this wedding feast is something that everybody is invited to. But this parable isn't just about celebration and victory. Jesus spoke this parable as a warning because Jesus is concerned that people will reject his free invitations of grace to eternal life in heaven. Listen again to what Jesus had to say in this parable. Jesus spoke to the beginning in parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out his servants to summon those who were invited to the wedding banquet, but they did not want to come. Then he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But those who were invited paid no attention and went off one to his own farm, another to his business. The rest seized the king's servants, mistreated them, and killed them. As a result, the king was angry. He sent his army and killed those murderers and burned their town. Now, Jesus pictures a once-in-a-lifetime event that anybody who was invited would not make sure they cleared their calendars for. I and mean, the king's son married to his bride. And as you think about this invitation, nobody would want to reject it because rejecting it would be rejecting a feast that was going to have the the food that would be there of the highest quality and it would all be there in abundance. But the people invited wouldn't only not want to reject because of this, but also because to reject the invitation would be disrespectful to the king, the most powerful man in the kingdom. Yet, what we see in the parable is many who were invited rejected this invitation. And some rejected because they ignored the invitation. Servants came and told them that everything was ready to now come to the wedding feast. But they felt that they had better things to do, so they simply paid no attention to those servants and went about their business. Whereas others didn't just ignore the invitation. They were hostile to it, beating and killing the servants that the king had sent. I guess this morning we could take the time to identify the people in our world today, who the people in our parable picture. Can you identify people in our world today who these people represent? Can you identify people who ignore the gospel message, who They have far better things to do and so they they go about their way thinking that they they don't need to listen to what God's word has to say. Can you identify people in our world today who are hostile to God's gospel message? People who who think that the gospel is damaging to our society today and and people who oppose it with, with every ounce of their being. It's not hard for us to identify people in our world today who these people picture. But as with all of God's Word, He doesn't put these warnings in front of us so that we look at other people. God puts these warnings in front of us so that we examine our own hearts and lives. And as you do that this morning, can you find times in your own life when you've seen these own actions? Maybe we're and led to ignore God's gospel message because we're so familiar with it. I mean, every week it's the same messages. Law, gospel, sin, grace, Christ's cross, our forgiveness and our call to follow. It's the same thing week after week, just with a different theme, depending on, on what Sunday we're at in the church here. And because we're so familiar with God's gospel message, can it maybe lead us to have thoughts like this? I know pastor is going to get to the part where he tells me that my sins are forgiven. I know pastor is going to get to the part of the sermon where he points me to the cross of Christ. I know what pastor is going to say. So maybe I could use this time to think about the other matters in my life that are are more pressing and important to me at the moment. Or maybe thoughts like this. I know it's important to open up my Bible throughout the week but I just have so many things going on right now. And, and anyways, I, I know the accounts that are found in God's word. I know what the gospel message says. So while I know it's important, I just have too many things going on to have, have a personal devotional life. Can our familiarity with the gospel message put us in danger of rejecting it? Or how about our tendency to be hostile to God's gospel message. Which maybe sounds kind of weird since we're currently seated in church where we're gathered around God's words of praise and worship the one true God. But we're called to be Christians and to live our lives of faith not just on Sundays, but, but every day of our lives. Do we find that our sinful natures sometimes have a problem with what God calls us to do throughout our lives. God, you want me to find joy in my salvation always. But then why do you keep allowing all these sufferings and hardships to come into my life? Don't you see how hard it is to always find joy? God, you really want me to forgive that person for what they did to me? Do you not see how much pain they caused me? Do you not see how much hurt they brought into my life? We find that our sinful nature sometimes has a problem with the things that God calls us to do in our lives. And God is concerned that people will reject his free invitations of grace to eternal life in heaven. God is concerned that you and I will reject his free invitations of grace. And that's why God places these warnings in front of us. So that we can hear his warnings. And be reminded of the firm foundation of our faith that is on Christ. So we can be reminded that God desires for us to see his invitations and to trust and believe in what he has done for us. And after Jesus warns at the beginning of our parable, well, as it continues, we see that the king continues to invite. Then the king said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go to the main crossroads and invite as many as you find to the wedding banquet. Those servants went out to the roads and gathered together everyone they found, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Everything was ready. The music was playing and the food was prepared. The only thing that was missing now were guests to enjoy the wedding feast because so many had rejected this invitation. But the fact that many had rejected this invitation wasn't going to keep God from making sure, making the king from making sure that the wedding hall was going to be filled and packed full of people. So he sent his servants to the street corners, the places where all walks of life would converge at the exact same place, and he told them to invite everyone. He didn't care if it was the elites of society or the lowly of society, if it was the rich or the poor. The king wasn't concerned about the right or the wrong kind of person being invited. All the king was concerned about was making sure that his wedding feast was going to be packed full of people. And the reason the king in the parable invites everyone is because Jesus didn't die on the cross for one nation or for just a certain kind of person. No, Jesus' death on the cross was for everyone, for the morally upright, for those who have all kinds of transgressions staining their lives. It doesn't matter what sins one has fallen into in their life, because it was for this very reason that Jesus came into the world. He came to teach us not how to be clean, rather he came to teach us that he has made us clean through his perfect and holy life, and through the shedding of His righteous and innocent blood on the cross. And doesn't Jesus make this oh so clear in how our parable ends? When the king came to see the guest, he saw a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He said to them, Friend, how did you get in here without wearing wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his servants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The king sent his invitation out to everybody, showing that he desired everyone to be invited. But then when the wedding feast started, he saw someone who wasn't in the right clothes and he kicked them out of the wedding feast. So does the king want everyone at the wedding feast or not? Well, to answer that question, we need to understand what the wedding clothes in the parable represent. And to do that, we need to remember the context in which these verses were spoken. Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders, the ones who refused to see him as the promised Messiah, and the ones who thought that they were going to earn heaven through their strict observance and obedience to God's laws and commands. And Jesus' words of judgment were spoken against them. So what it means to reject the invitation, to not be worthy, and to not be in the right wedding clothes, is to oppose Jesus' claims that he is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the one who came to be the way and the truth and the life. And when one rejects and opposes Christ, will they then forfeit the blessings of forgiveness and eternal life in heaven that he has won for all? Now, Christians, if we think that in any way our works are what are going to earn us eternal life in heaven, then we are greatly mistaken. Any thought... Any thought of comparing ourselves to that person or or to those people and thinking that because we're better than them, God is going to grant us eternal life in heaven. Or any thought of thinking that as long as we do more good works than bad works, that God is going to owe it to us to grant us eternal life in heaven. Any thought that puts the focus on our very own works is going to lead us to the same fate of the religious leaders of being kicked out of the eternal feast in heaven. There is only one way to heaven. And that's through a life of repentance. Repentance which consists of two things. Which first consists of despairing over the sins that we have fallen into in our own lives. And despairing of the total depravity of our sinful nature. Realizing that there is nothing that we could do on our own to get to eternal life in heaven. And which then consists of fixing and focusing our eyes on Christ as the one who has made us fit for the entry feast in heaven by offering his very own life on the cross where he paid for your sins and gifted you his very own righteousness, perfection, and holiness. And God doesn't want you to reject his free invitations of grace to eternal life in heaven. God clearly displays this in the fact that he not only sent his Son to be your Savior, but God also displays this in the fact that he works through his gospel message to create faith in hearts like yours and mine. In hearts that were at one time darkened by sin and opposed God in everything that had to do with him. But God worked through his gospel message to create faith in our hearts, to trust and believe in Christ and to see him as our Savior from sin. Praise God that his invitation is for you. Praise God that his invitation is free. Praise God that his invitation to eternal life in heaven is yours because he has led you to believe. Praise God that his invitation has given you the assurance that he has done everything for you to assure you that you will have a place at the wedding feast in heaven. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.